13 minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the mighty Metro. It's our business wrap. And Snesipo joins us uh, for our analysis of the top stories in the world of money and power at the start of this new week. And uh, Snesipo Manindra is a uh, CA market commentator and analyst and joins us this evening. Good evening, Snesipo, and welcome. Uh, evening, Aya. How are you? Tiko No, I'm good. Yeah. Day one of level four. Yes. I'm very good. Yes. Yeah, and uh, how have markets responded to that, especially those who uh, yeah, sell, I guess, leisure services and uh, those who sell liquor? Um, I, think, I, think, I think, first of all, we've entered uh, President uh, Ramaphosa yesterday, quoted Nelson Mandela, it's a long walk to freedom. It's a long walk Did to freedom. Did you hear about 2000? Why are you quoting Nelly M? So yeah, much? Nelly M. Why are you quoting um, Nelly so M so much? <laughs> Guys, I was like, these, these kids, they must be defunded. <laughs> but I think what's important um, to articulate is that he, um, you saw quite a bit of activity specifically in the leisure stocks. But I would like to point us to just draw your attention to Sun International, which basically announced that they'll be closing. Now, I think one of the things we need to talk about is that with these regulations, and I think um, in your conversations later on with the Liquor Association and Miss Wendy, if she comes on your show uh, from the Restaurant Association, is that a lot of businesses are actually dependent on leisure activities, not only for travel, but for basic consumption. And um, I think that's also one of the one of the the the, 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 the strange things. So you you saw a bit of a downturn in some of the leisure stocks, mm. but. Uh, I always make the example um, to most people. Uh, alcohol in South Africa was spent about just roughly three months not being sold, and there was still an increase in volume of liquor consumed in this country. So, if Wait, you look so at there was an increase in volumes. Like, yes, so, who was supplying it? Oh, no, no, no. It, it, it shows how much people stocked up. It's a stock up effect. Mm. So, every time. So then, so every time there's been a shutdown, a lot of people stocked up. Like I, I was walking past a Woolworths. Uh, Woolworths. There were queues. I, I was like, guys, we have a problem. We have a problem. There, there. The queues were outside the doors. Like it's cold. I just could not understand it. I really could not understand it. But um, it is what it is. But I think, I think this ban uh, for me, I think it's necessary because the right to Life exceeds livelihood, in my sure, opinion, sure. because I do not know a single person who's lost um, someone in this pandemic who wouldn't give it up uh, money-wise just to have them around. Because, yeah. like I always explain to someone, we've all been broke before. We've, we haven't died, guys. We haven't died. We've been broke before. We haven't died. But losing someone is permanent. One you can recover from, the other one not so much. So, so I guess, I mean, the other dimension, Snezipo, to, to some of what the president was, was talking about, aside from just the behavioral issues that uh, some people might suggest have brought us to this point, uh, we saw restrictions to level three not so long ago when the president saying, well, those weren't very effective. Uh, but you can't run away, I guess, from the livelihood impact in many subsectors that are going to be heavily hit. I mean, I'm thinking food services, restaurant employment, uh, the glass industry. Um, and, and, and all of this happens at a time where there's a lot of question marks around what relief are you giving people who are effectively locked out of their work? Uh, there's no TERS anymore. Uh, there's no social relief of distress grant. What's happening? Uh, so um, 
I saw the gazettes this morning. I, I read the gazettes this morning, and there hasn't been any single mention of any relief. And for me, that is sort of uh, the, one of the pain points. Mm. Um, one of the pain points because um, you are effectively uh, defunding someone, and you're not giving them any option. And Let's park for a minute the exploitative practices on some of these sub industries because mm, mm. they have another answer to they have another question to answer for sure, because sure. but uh, we can't we can't run away from um, the subject is like this morning um, um, because it wasn't roughly announced I was on my way to gym and then we were like the guys at the door were like we're closed um, ah, so, let's pause there for a second I mean. Let's pause there. We'll come back to uh, to the gym scenario. Eight minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk. It's our business wrap with uh, Snesipo Manindra on this Monday. Snesipo Sibuye, like we changeables. Uh, yeah, you went to the gym this morning. Yes, I went to the gym this morning and I was surprised to find out that it was going to be closed. Um, it was going to be closed. Um, besides that, um, besides that, for me, my issues are first world. I've always maintained my issues of first ah, world. Snesipo. No, 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 no. Uh, let, let's do this. We can't talk about first world issues uh, like it is. But I get you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I my issues are always first world. So, but um, I, all I thought about, so I was, I was, it was, it was one of the things that were hitting me there was that within the gym, you have the most vulnerable workers. You've got the trainers mm, and you've got mm. the auxiliary staff, i.e. via the, the quiet food. And all of them, they were outside with me. So it wasn't just, I think, because the it was those communication yesterday wasn't detailed. Mm, mm. So and one we were in the in a tweet that Virgin Active said they were like business as usual and they changed their mind at eight AM this morning. And what I could think to myself was everyone here has traveled, has traveled to work and they've realized they're not going to earn any income. Because he was silent on certain and some of these issues. And and yeah, one of the things no, that, you're right. And and I get the point you make. So you're saying that there's certain details in the in the uh, new regulations that were gazetted last night that weren't adequately communicated and some people as they would be expecting of course woke up and only to find that actually no like it wasn't like and i always think was there's no relief for these workers because of how the the nature of the employment is structured and I think one of, and, and, and that's, even when you look at the turf scheme, and this is where I get mad at people who criticize our government, a lot of workers could not access, they didn't utilize the full budget allocation of turfs simply because their employers didn't pay UIF. And, and, that, yeah. and this is where I come from. And this is where I come. That's why I call it exploitative practices, because you have, Essentially, cut off a lifeline because you don't want to pay tax, you don't want to pay a living wage, you don't. And I, 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 that's why I say my empathy, my empathy is always directed to the most vulnerable situation. My empathy is nowhere near Virgin Active and Brave. Ah, they can mm, fall, but mm, ah, they, sure, I do not have sure. a single ounce of empathy. I'm actually even upset. I'm sending them an evil email because they want to elite debit order when they're going to be closed. <laughs> that is my problem. But. Yeah, no. early debit order. And the sad part, my phone's early debit order, mm. but they're not going to pay their stuff. Snesipo, 
you, you raise a very important point there around a lot of the other uh, auxiliary and what might be seen as non-core services to the operation of a gym and some core, of course. I mean, the trainers and, you know, many of the people who interact with the, with the patrons who attend a gym. Um, and the employment equity report uh, gave us some insight into the demographic and gender composition in particular and race composition of some of the people who work in those categories of work. What do you make of, I guess, the stories we continue to hear? And uh, unsurprisingly, a story no different to what we've heard in previous years. Uh, white males still at the top of the occupational uh, distribution, overrepresented in top management and high-paying positions. Um, it, for me, it's pretty much the same. It's not, it's, 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 I, I didn't, uh, this report wasn't groundbreaking to me. It was not new. It wasn't... Um, some of the, the elements were not, there was nothing new that I was reading. What it does do, it talks, it does do is highlight the fallacy, the paranoia, and the outright craziness of some organizations who claim that white males are under threat in corporate when evidence is contrary. Are there people who suggest that? Oh, you know, those people from the uh, White males the are, you know, for fear of extinction, under threat, and all manner of other no, things. No, no, no. So, 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 so I'll even tell you the most one of the conversations I had with one of my colleagues. One of my colleagues, Shane, it's gonna bless her heart. She knows she's one of those Karens. Those Karens. Hi, hi, hi. You know I love Karens, and they've got my heart, guys. They really do. She was like, "Oh my God, I'm so worried about having two white boys. About what opportunities they'll have." And all I could think to myself is, statistically, even though your boys are in university, they are still having a much better chance than even me, who's got over ten years of work experience. Just numbers-wise. And she was genuinely worried. Like, she was deep in her feelings. And I was, I was perplexed. I was perplexed. Oh, I, I, you know, when you're just, I think it's because I'm, and you know, in my, organi- in my organization, my people, and all I could think to myself was, are you blind? Are you I don't well, know. But you know okay. what it is, though, Snesipo. It's um, you hear the same thing. I mean, in another element of this employment equity discussion on on executive pay, right? You hear the same argument coming through from white males saying, "Well, you know, we need to make sure that we uh, continue to pay obscene amounts of money to retain." what is a very small talent pool, and we need to be competitive in that space. And this whole idea, I guess, um, in large part, is, is it feeds into that broader narrative of like white fragility, if I can put it that way, right? That, it uh, is fragility. Yeah, yeah, that we cornered, it's, it's you know, fragile. there's so it's many fragile. of the natives. and um, but, but, but I guess the other flip side of it is this over-representation of African women in unskilled, semi-skilled, uh, and what I must say is vulnerable and very low-paying and low-productivity work. Yes, and the, you know, I, I, I can't even, like, you're, okay, this is to ensure that I don't get fired. It's, it is rare for someone my age, my look, to be in the role that I am in. It is rare to see people who look like me, who talk like me, in senior levels of any organization in financial services. I've never, ever, mm. ever, ever experienced it. My entire career, I've always reported to men. Not because they're not any women. It's just because women are not in the leadership position. Mm. It's literally as simple as that. And that is a structural issue. And for me, it is a man-made issue that can be corrected by man. And the unwillingness, and I call it unwillingness because 
And this is where of corporate South Africa to change the demographics is of concern. It is generally of concern. And you know what? I'm in the system. I'm in the system. I love what mm. I do. I love organization. This is generally where I think I belong. But it, it never does not hurt that I don't see people who look like me. You know, Ceci, but I mean... This is by no stretch of the imagination unique to South Africa. And I guess that links to the other story that I want us to touch on. Because there are many explanations. Um, and there's, you know, a fascinating, uh, uh, you know, economist out at uh, Saldry at UCT, uh, uh, Jackie Musomi, who's done analysis on, uh, you know, some of what has happened in the low end of the distribution, especially as it relates to women's wages. Um, and often economists make this argument that, well, it's not, it has nothing to do with race. The issue is that actually the type of work uh, or the shifts and changes in the work process has, in effect, you know, benefited from a wage perspective and even, I guess, uh, occupationally, white people and those who have very high levels of skill, even in instances where, I guess, educational attainment has grown consistently over time among black people and in particular black women. Still, people make this argument that actually it has nothing to do with race, but the, sh- uh, you know, shifting nature of work uh, and the type of skill sets that exist in, in African community. What do you make of, of, of that argument? Uh, not only just here in South Africa, but I guess people make the same argument in the U.S. It's racism. People like to, uh, they, people like to call it anything but. But it's, for me, it fundamentally works out to, to racism. Someone needs, people need to examine. And they don't want to have the conversation with themselves or articulated in any verbiage. Um, economists are the worst at it. No offense to your profession, but... I said wrong. Spoililetin. Are the worst at it because they try to justify something that is a social science in a manner that doesn't seem to be offensive. People need to examine why, if you're presented with two candidates of similar skill and background, you automatically go to the fairest skin candidate. Hmm. Why? Do you, and, 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 and the thing is with me, but I think the conversation will be better if people acknowledge their inherent bias towards those of darker skin, mm. their inherent bias, because when racism makes no sense, and I think this is why I think Tony Morrison, she always says this quote about it, 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 it's a distraction because you're having to explain something. And when you actually don't have to go all around the circles, you literally just have to say, this is racism and this is why. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's it, the same. It's like, you know, uh, the point that was being made, I guess, you know, in that New York Times editorial where a lot of, uh, you know, where people are arguing in the U.S., especially, you know, black economists saying we spend so much time in this profession just trying to explain that racism has an impact on economic outcomes. And influences economic outcomes because the entire profession, yeah, is just not geared for that. But but Snezibo, maybe just before we let this one go, I mean, a, a lot has been suggested in the amendment bill process, and I'm going to touch on this with the commissioner uh, for the uh, Commission of Employment Equity in the next few minutes. Uh, in this suggestion that actually we've allowed corporations to self, uh, you know, regulate when it comes to employment equity plans, targets, and all of that. We've allowed them to self-regulate for long enough. And maybe, you know, you in the financial services sector, maybe there needs to be sectoral targets for occupational representation and even, I guess, you know, uh, pay ratios and all manner of other things that are within the employment equity framework. What's your view on that Uh, and whether or not, you know, um, 
one on self-regulation, how that has worked, but also two, whether or not you know uh, sectoral targets uh, might uh, get us the outcomes that we want. They exist sectoral targets. There's just non-compliance of those sectoral targets. They exist. They're not. They exist. They're not some foreign concept. The reason why we know each by JC regulation, JC regulation requires you to report on your BE compliance as a listed entity every single year. It requires you to report on things like employment equity, which is part of your broad-based black economic empowerment um, report. And each year, organizations are failing. So you have a situation where an organization says, we're level one, but there are no black people in management. Mm. We're level two, but there are no black people in management. Level three. But <laughs> so and, and it's because people game the BE, BE scorecard, which is, it is what it is. They game it. Um, let's just be honest. People game the system. It's quite simple. But for me, you can't game sectoral targets. The issue is compliance. And for me, people, I honestly feel that people won't listen until they're forced to comply. It's like taxes. We don't pay. The reason why I pay them is because it's deducted from my salary every month. If I had a choice, I would think twice every month. <laughs> And maybe that's what we need. We need. I mean, we're the most unequal but, society. We carry this massive polarization on race and class and gender, and we we, we make it seem like we, yeah, you know, we work. Yeah, yeah. Well, let the market do it. No, no, no. No, I think no, we no, need no, a harder market cycle. Even mm. the fact that the U.S. is trying to clamp down on the likes of Google, you've got the Senate trying to clamp down on the likes of Google and Co. Will tell you that. The self-regulation does not work. People are inherently do not want to be forced to comply. So when uh, I'm a believer, because I make the, I always, that's why I make the simplest example for someone to understand why self-regulation doesn't work is you must ask someone, if I didn't have my salary, didn't go to tax, would, if they gave me my full salary and I was rich, and half of it didn't go to tax, man, I, I would think twice. The reason why I say I would think twice is that Inherently, I want to comply. But then I'm like, you, I'm going to have to EFT this to text. Like, in my year to... Just with a few minutes we have, maybe a last one. Um, we saw some numbers coming out, uh, Consumer uh, Confidence Index coming through from uh, one of our banks. Uh, very, very interesting. I mean, if you look at the index points over a period of time, on what happened the moment the social relief of distress grant and TERS was withdrawn. And uh, yeah, the implication that that had on the outlook of many low-income households from a spending perspective. What happened there? Um, the withdrawal benefit meant that there's no future safety net. Hmm. It's literally as simple as that. There's no future safety net. And I think what people don't realize is that we are still not on 2019 levels. We're still recovering portions from 2019 levels and the year 2021. And we've just passed through increases in electricity, increases in food, increases in fuel. So I don't think people conceptually understand mm. that. It's, it's, it's a natural yeah. affinity because all sectors are currently in recovery. No one is doing Okay, there are those, you know, you know, or superstar or superstar who are doing better than in 2019, who did better in 2020 than they did in 2019. But by and large, most people are doing fractions of 2019 in 2021. <sighs> and we're still in recovery mode. So you, 
for me, again, this was nothing I'm surprised at. This was nothing I am. And also, like, one of the things, and and this is where I I empathize sometimes with um, vulnerable employees, because when the restaurants reopen and some of the other places reopen, nine out of ten times, they don't hire the same amount of people. Mm. That's always the case, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and, and, yeah. That, and that's just the reality, and it's quite sad. You never it's, see a full rebound, ever. You never see yeah. full rebound, ever, yeah. because, again, exploitation. People still, equity owners still want to earn the same return with this, with less labor. Huh. They want this, <laughs> yeah. They want more effort, with, but they still want to maintain their profit margins, hence they never have a, a full return. Yeah, Snesipo? We're going to have to leave it here. Uh, But as always, a pleasure to catch up with you. And uh, thank you very much for your time. That there was Nesipo Maninjwa helping us with our wrap of the top business stories. We're going to take a quick break now. But uh, when we come back, uh, we uh, go into our Shop Stewards uh, Corner segment and we speak to the commissioner at the Employment uh, Equity Commission. And uh, yeah, as uh, we're saying there with Nesipo, it seems the story year on year remains the same and uh, this evening we ask what instruments and tools uh, do we have because yeah if indeed it is about carrots and sticks well what does the stick look like and uh, we'll be taking a look at that in our shop stewards corner uh, with uh, the commissioner at the uh, commission of employment equity tembi chakonda who's going to be our guest